All right, everybody, it is time for another episode of the Crypto 101 podcast. But before we dive in to our awesome, awesome guest and conversation today, I want to remind you guys of two things. And the first one is that if you go to Crypto101insider.com, you can join our private community. Here's where we have our model portfolio and all of our top picks. We also have uh, Crypto 101 University. Uh, where we have hours and hours and hours of written and video content that explains blockchain and explains cryptocurrency in a very bite-sized and easy-to-understand way. Uh, and we have a weekly newsletter that goes out and quarterly state of crypto addresses that go out. There is just a ton of value packed into this every which way. So I want you guys first uh, to go to Crypto101insider.com today uh, if you haven't already. I also want to remind you guys that Pizza Mind and I recently just finished a book. Uh, It took 11 months of our lives to write, and we're calling it Crypto Revolution, Your Guide to the Future of Money. We walk you through this fascinating world of cryptocurrencies and blockchain, and it's part history book, it's part instructional guide, and it's going to really show you guys why cryptocurrencies are globally disruptive and how they're going to actually change in real life and in real terms the way that we buy and sell and even live. We include a bunch of how-tos on getting started with your first exchanges. Uh, We give you tips on how to safely buy and sell and store cryptocurrencies, as well as how do we evaluate potentially good cryptocurrencies. And the best part of the book is that we're giving it away for free. All you have to do is pay for shipping and handling. So go to CryptoRevolution.com and pick up your copy today. All right. What's up, all you good citizens of Crypt Nation? Welcome back to another action-packed episode of the Crypto 101 podcast. As always, folks, I go nowhere without my notorious compadre, Mr. Pizza Mind. Pizza Mind, what's cracking in your corner, brother? It's an amazing time to be in the crypto markets right now. We are blessed with an overabundance of amazing price action, coins to choose from, it's like popcorns in a popcorn machine. And often we get overwhelmed trying to figure out just what do I do? There's so many things to choose from. Well, the good news is you really can't go wrong unless you're still on zero for some reason and sitting around going, I don't know, this crypto thing's is real yet or not. That's the only way you can really <laughs> lose right now. Uh, but Bryce, I look to you for guidance in my trading life. Can you give me some words of wisdom to manage my risk better, to pick winners? Like, what are you thinking? You know, I I always have my sayings. One of my sayings uh, is, you know, plan your trade and trade your plan, right? Mm, 90% of the market out there that are retail guys have no freaking clue what they're doing. They're buying things randomly based off of a tip from a friend. Uh, They're not even doing baseline things such as, you know, going to coingecko.com and, you know, looking at liquidity for a certain coin before they even think Mm. about placing a market order. They're not looking at a chart to see where prices come from. So there's very small little things that people could be doing day in and day out of just planning a trade and, you know, how long you want to hold it for and what your expected return is. And at what point is there like an invalidation of, of your belief that this thing is going to go up and when are you going to cut your point. losses? So that's kind of how, how do I plan a trade. Well, how do I plan a trade better? You know anyone that can help us with that? 
And that's exactly the point that I'm glad that you got to because today we've mm. got mm. truly one of the, the, the smartest minds in actually trading the markets day in, day out, and trading as a business, not just as, you know, oh, hey, like I'm gonna go trade and, and, and try my hand, but no, I'm gonna structure and manage risk um, on an institutional level uh, for undisclosed sums of money. But who we have today is the head of trading at Block Tower Capital, Avi Feldman. Welcome to the show. Hey, glad to be on here. Thanks, Bryce. Pizza Mind for having me on. Excited <laughs> to get this uh, convo rolling. Yeah, man. There's 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 so much going on in the markets. You know, we're recording this today, Tuesday, March 9th. Bitcoin kind of broke out of a pretty key technical resistance that's been holding us right around $52,000. It's looking like the the institutions are are kind of putting up a wall of money uh that's, you know, supporting price every new way, right? Every time there's a new consolidation zone, price just seems to kind of want to float up and that's kind of the natural tendency or, or maybe we could even say the trend of the market right now but Avi we want to we want to kind of get inside your mind like you personally high level you know what is the stage of the market that we're in right now yeah man it's uh it's been an absolutely absolutely wild year I mean look at it right 12 months ago and I remember this day like it's the clearest day in the back of my mind I was trading March 12th 2020, when the markets just absolutely fell out from out of themselves. Bitcoin starts the night before at $7,700. And then by the next day, it had traded 3300 bucks on BitMEX and somewhere around that on Coinbase. That crazy infamous 50% drop in the S&P, you know, it was down 20% too. And just to think that we've come from that all the way here to at time of this, 55000 bucks Bitcoin's trading, it's just nuts to me. It's just absolutely nuts. I mean, I'm, I've been a Bitcoin bull for you know a long time, but even even this last year has been a lot to kind of take in and see like, oh, wow, like we've come such a long way. It just feels like a completely different world almost. It, um, it really it, it's, is. Yeah, it is. It is. It is and a completely different world. Especially just the past uh, few months. I mean, we had a great second half of 2020 in the crypto markets because it was the only show in town that was still on. But now, even as the rest of the world starts to open up and, you know, we're still a long way away from normal, I think just the the gains we've seen January to March have dwarfed even what we saw, you know, April to December of last year. And uh, the question that everyone's keep happening is, is this the end? Is this the big blow off or do we still have more to go? Where are we at in this cycle? I think we're in the, if I were to, you know, if you guys play baseball, I think we're in the sixth inning of a bull run. So mm-hmm. I think that we're we're deep into it. We're in the meat of it, but we've still got the last third of the game to go. And this is where the third. This is where the game gets real crazy, because every bull run has that phase where things just absolutely start to not make sense anymore. And we're getting into that territory here, but things still kind of make sense. <laughs> like if you look at if you look at the revenue metric, the insanity metric. <laughs> Kind of makes sense. They kind of make sense. But if you look at like revenue multiples for DeFi protocols, like you look at the revenue multiples on Sushi or revenue multiples on Aave and Compound, they're high, but they're not like, oh my God, how is this thing trading 10,000 times higher than the fees that it generates? Like, it's not like, oh my God, what is going on? This thing is a $40 billion protocol. It doesn't have anything to back it. Actually, there's maybe one of them out there, but there were way more... (laughs) 
There are way more of them out there in 2017. So we haven't reached that like absolute insane phase. That doesn't mean that they're not going to be pullbacks, but for, for the time being, I'm pretty confident in saying that we've got, we've got some space to go. And going back to the, uh, going back to the March comment, I think we have that space to go. Thanks to the fed. Thanks to the government for extremely aggressive monetary policy that is just day in and day out, you know, having conversations with people that are getting more and more worried about inflation, that are actually getting worried about their purchasing power, they're rebalancing their portfolio into Bitcoin. Price action is reflecting that. And I don't see that necessarily stopping anytime soon. So I'm I'm pretty confident in saying that we're, you know, we're we're in the sixth inning, we're not in the ninth inning. Yeah, I, I think what would be really helpful just to show people like so so I th- I think that like in this cycle, you know, I agree like you know, we're probably in the middle stages, but you you've been trading these markets for quite a long time and I think people are always kind of like where did we even come from? Like has it always been this way? What sorts of advancements have made trading as an institutional asset manager have made it easier and doable and you know efficient that weren't there when you started trading and weren't even there in 2017 because the picture we're trying to paint is like wow now the groundwork has been laid for institutional asset managers to come on board right today we just saw you know a big announcement from JP Morgan that they're having a structured structured vehicles product so so where what's really fundamentally been been the biggest changes oh man i mean since 2017 huge amount of change and I'll say that for the institutional space, it's gotten so much easier to buy Bitcoin. Just so, so, so much easier. It's, it's crazy. In 2017, I mean, liquidity was everywhere. It was fragmented. It was on OKEX. It was on Huobi. It was on, you know, a little bit on Binance at that point, late, late 2017. It was on Coinbase. It was on Bitstamp. And it's still fragmented today. But back then, there were very, very few people that managed to piece all the puzzle pieces together. And that managed to actually execute on all these different exchanges. And so if you were an institution or if you, if you were even a person that wanted to buy 5 million bucks of Bitcoin, it was so hard to do that in any meaningful way without pushing the price up like crazy on one exchange. I remember in 2017, anybody who was around, you used to see arbitrages in Bitcoin that were like 5 6 7% wide. And they wouldn't close for hours. It would be trading, you know, 700 bucks higher on Gemini than it was trading on Coinbase. And you'd sit there and you go like, this makes no sense. And fast forward four years, 2021, you have people like Tagomi, you have people like Omniex, you have people like CoinRoutes who are merging all these exchanges together into one. They're allowing institutional investors to come in to buy as much Bitcoin as they want. You have people like Cumberland, like Genesis, like Galaxy, who are hooked up to every liquidity venue that exists. If you want to buy 100 million bucks of Bitcoin, perfect. Call up Genesis, call up Galaxy, call up Cumberland, tell them, hey, I want to buy this much and they'll work the order for you and it won't even move price that much anymore. And it's crazy because I actually think that from the execution angle, it's almost as bad for retail as it, as it was in 2017. There are not a lot of really good tools for retail. Um, you can kind of suss them out if you're a good programmer. Like if you're a, if you're a decent programmer, you can find some tools that are good for you. But just like retail focused tools to access all this spread liquidity is is not there. But on the institutional level, I mean, it's it's amazing. It's amazing, um, and it's different, right? Because if if you're a retail participant in the equities market, if you submit an order, your broker has fiduciary duty to you to basically execute best price. They got to give you best price. If they don't give you best price, then they're in big trouble. 
it's not true on Binance. It's not true on, you know, on any of these exchanges. They don't have any fiduciary responsibility. If you mess up and accidentally pay 30% over spot, like you're paying 30% over spot, they're not going to refund you, which is why it's so important to, for retail, in my opinion, to take advantage. And for, for if you're new to the, if you're new to the crypto market, it's just so important to take advantage of all the new info that's out there. In my opinion, just like you were saying, like, CoinGecko, you know, you have token terminal that gives you all these revenue multiples. You've got CoinMarketCap that'll give you, you know, basically any any coin under the sun alongside CoinGecko. Although CoinGecko is really good for the depth. Like you, you've got to utilize these resources to make sure you're, do, you're doing it correctly because the information has gone way, way, way up for uh, for new participants in the crypto market. That, that yeah. I'll say. It's just a world of difference from 2017. Just, just world of difference. I, I really couldn't things- agree more. One of the things I was going to say real quick about retail tools, one tool that uh, would be extremely helpful as well to kind of solve that fragmented liquidity uh, for, you know, retail guys would be Voyager, right? So if you go to investvoyager.com, right, you guys could access a retail brokerage. It was founded by the number two at E-Trade, a guy named Steve Ehrlich. He's been on the show a bunch of times. And uh, that's a phenomenal platform. If anybody who's listening wants to go and get connected to 50 different exchanges or something like that through one uh, brokerage account. But but sorry, Aaron, I cut you off. What were you saying? No, not at all. That's a great point. And I'm glad you brought that up. But what I was going to ask is you mentioned something about uh, tokens being overvalued versus insanely overvalued. But how exactly do we value a crypto token? You mentioned revenue multiples which is something that we've never talked about on the show before. Can you break that down a little bit for us and talk about how one might apply something like that to determine if something is overheated and needs to cool off or if something is really actually undervalued and could potentially uh, get some more eyeballs on it? I think it's probably easiest if I break this down into three types of tokens in my mind, and then we can kind of go from there. So the first type, the first type of token is just a, your pure monetary asset. And that's your Bitcoin. That's your Litecoin. And that's your Dogecoin. And this thing doesn't have a revenue. It's just it's just a thing that exists that other people have said. Oh, this thing has value. And Bitcoin, obviously, the most people have said have value, which is why it's the largest cryptocurrency in the ecosystem. I mean, personally, I think Bitcoin has absolutely tremendous value. But you, at the bottom line, you have to admit to yourself like the reason it has tremendous value. Is because people respect it for all of its inter- like inherent properties, being censorship resistant, being you know fun- fungible good, the fungible currency that you can use to, to buy to buy goods, being you know fully distributed so that it can't be shut down by, by any government government entity, and it's non seizable as well, right? So there are all these like fantastic things about Bitcoin, but at the end of the day, like the reason that it has value is because people believe that it has value. So it's like okay, so these these are your monetary assets, and that. And with monetary assets, really the only approach you can take to like overvalue or undervalue are two things. One, it's comparative valuation. So take Bitcoin's total market cap, for example, and say, okay, two, it's two trillion bucks. Or it's one trillion bucks right now. I think that it should be one fourth of gold, and gold is eight trillion. So I think Bitcoin could be two trillion. So you can use comparative valuation to talk about these monetary assets, and that's all. That's all fine and good. And then the other thing you can use is just like market metrics to figure out. Oh, like is Bitcoin going to trade forty five thousand dollars first, or is it going to trade eighty thousand dollars first? And for that, you kind of have to like, because that's like noise in the grand scheme of things. Even though to your portfolio it might feel not like noise, because that's those are big moves. But but at the at the end of the day, like that's all just like markets, and we can get into that. But 
So that's Bitcoin, that's monetary assets, that's Dogecoin. That's all your, they're valuable because people think they have value. Then what you have are you have your networks. So you have your Ethereums of the world. You have your Cardanos of the world, your Phantoms of the world. And these are your layer ones that people build applications on top. And right now, Ethereum is the largest layer one. And I think you can reasonably value these things, not in a monetary sense, but again, in a relative value sense, but kind of looking at the value of all the applications that are built on top of them. Right now to figure out, okay, like, is this thing actually have meaningful usage? In 2017, literally nothing had meaningful usage. Like zero, nada. Like there was there was nothing useful about any of these, you know, networks. Ethereum was barely being used. It was only being used for ICOs. You know, Cardano wasn't used at all. Like EOS wasn't even live. Like half these things weren't even live. Fast forward to 2021, the most important thing for a new market participant to understand is that these things are actually like being used. Ethereum is being used. Uh, Binance Smart Chain is being used right now. Phantom is being used right now. Cardano is still not being used. But besides, besides that, you can take a look at the applications that are being built on top of layer ones and think to yourself, okay, because there's X amount of market activity on this layer one, I think that it should be valued highly. I personally think Ethereum is likely to be valued high, more highly in the future because there's that's where the vast majority of you know, activity is taking place. But things like Binance Smart Chain, for example, or Binance BNB is accruing meaningful value, I think, because a bunch of people are moving to build on Binance Smart Chain. And we can get into it again later if we want, like why do people choose to build on one layer one over, over another? I think the most important thing to remember right now is that Cardano is not being used that much and that basically a lot of other layer ones are being used a lot. So uh, all my all my like new friends that get in, they're like, oh, Cardano is dope. It's like, yeah, the tech's interesting. It'll be actually easy. So... So like, let's let's temper our century. Um, Cardano the, was my favorite token when it was three cents. Now, yeah, I mean, you know, like, look, I respect I respect the team. Um, I, I respect Charles. I, I respect what he's, uh, you know, accomplished. But uh, at the end of the day, like, you got if you're an investor, you can't be caught up in like in passion. You have to look at the cold hard numbers. And the cold hard numbers are telling me that there's a lot more activity everywhere else. Um, so and to just put that in and just to frame that Cardano has the same valuation as eBay right now. Yeah. Yes. eBay.com and Cardano have the same market cap. So, and smart contracts are highlights exactly what you're talking about. Smart contracts aren't even really live. I mean, you can transfer tokens on the network, but it's like actual like gap smart contracts. on. So anyway, moving on from that, um, this is where we get into revenue multiples. They're the third section. So to recap, we had the monetary assets, Bitcoin, Dogecoin. We had the uh, the network assets, your Phantoms, your Cardanos, your Ethereums. And now we're talking about the application assets. These are my favorite because you can actually value. So you've got your Sushis of the world. You've got your Unis of the world. You've got your Aves, your Compounds. Anything that falls under DeFi, even like your Keepers of the world. These are all applications. And these tokens, when you buy them, Essentially, what you're buying is you're buying a pseudo equity. So you're buying something that theoretically may or may not give you rights to cash flow now or in the future. When you buy sushi, you do get rights to cash flow now. When you buy uni, you're buying the speculation that you might get cash flows in the future because they haven't turned that on. So what you can do is you can actually look at that and you can say to yourself, all right, 
Sushi is valued at X billion. Let's make keep the numbers easy. Sushi is valued, valued at five billion. And every year, right now, if I annualize the amount of fee revenue that goes directly to sushi holders, which you can look at on tokenterminal.com, fantastic resource. Go there, look at the amount of revenue that sushi throws off. Let's, for again, simplicity, these numbers are not accurate. Let's say it throws off $1 billion in volume. Then your price to equity, price to sales ratio is five to one. And they're companies that trade at a larger PE, price to equity, right? Than, uh, than that. So, price to earnings, sorry. Um, and so basically what you're, what you're looking at is, you can actually value these things similarly to value in companies. And so when I said these things are not absolutely nuts, that's what I mean. And you could They're get like actually, comparative multiples as well. So, yep. so you could see like companies revenue or multiple or whatever is like maybe 43. And you're like, okay, well, that's fucking high. Uh, like what's backing that? And then you could see a crypto is like two and there's so much more room for growth. And you could kind of say, well, I think this thing's actually relatively undervalued. I'm going to take a small bet on something like that. And we actually have a great place to see if that invalidates because we could get out of the trade if that doesn't go according to thesis, right? You nailed it. You nailed it. That's exactly right. It's, and, and there are actually a lot of protocols out there right now that I, I, I won't name because it'll be a fun little gem hunt that are throwing <laughs> off like pretty good revenue multiples. And so why I think we're kind of in the sixth inning is because when we're in the ninth inning of that bull run, there's not going to be a single protocol that exists that has reasonable revenue. They're all going to be crazy overvalued. Mm. It's all going to be nuts. Nothing the top is, is in when the revenue multiples are out of hand. You heard it here first, folks, and you're tracking it on tokenterminal.com. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, and honestly, that, that's one of the biggest things that I'm going to be looking for is like when things just get stupid on that front. That's amazingly insightful. So how do we take advantage uh, across the board. I mean, we don't have quant services and PhDs uh, living in the room next door. Well, most of us don't anyway. Can you offer and explain at a high level some common trading, some, some common, let me start over. Can you explain at a high level some common trading strategies that anyone can use in crypto and kind of how it works? Yeah. Oh man, there, there are so many. Um, and there's a big difference between an investing strategy and a trading strategy. Uh, yes. And one of the things, one of the things that I'll say from the outset is that the way that I've seen the most people go broke in crypto, the most people, same exact pattern, they buy asset A because they think asset A will pump. All their friends have bought asset B. Asset B pumps instead. They believe in asset A but they buy asset B because all their friends had already bought it. Asset B dumps. And then they go, they start the cycle again. Basically, you're just chasing pumps over and over and over and over, and you're not letting yourself win. Now, it's, you might, maybe asset A was wrong, but the more you cycle between bets, the more you're constantly flipping, 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 looking for the next thing, the more likely it is that you're just going to go broke. Absolutely. Because normally what people do is they only buy the thing, the next hot thing when it's already going up. And the thing about crypto is that, yes, it is reflexive. And reflexive means that price engine is price. So if something's up 5% one day, it's very likely to be up 5% the next day. Or it's not very likely, but it's more likely to be up 5% the next day than 5% down the next day because crypto is like reflexive in that sense. But if something is up 100% in a week, it's very, very likely that people are going to start selling into that. 
And so what I see a lot of people do is they'll FOMO in and they'll just like continuously FOMO into assets and they'll lose all they'll lose a lot of money. So that's probably like the number one thing that I'll like say, like, don't, don't let that be your trading strategy. Like don't let FOMO be your trading strategy. Pick an asset, hold it. And can have I a value something there as well? Um, yes. Because this, this is great because this like that perfectly summarized something that I wish I had explained to every listener on the podcast, like so long ago, that was, that was the perfect mentality. I highly encourage everybody to like rewind right now and, and listen to that entire kind of spiel he just said about you know asset a to asset b friend tells you about this and you just guys be patient and the point i wanted to make before i let him move back on is you know one of my favorite quotes is from a book uh called reminiscences of a stock market operator and it's by you know a trader named jesse livermore who had a, a pseudonym named edwin lefevre right and so he uh he said i you know and he made millions and millions and millions in the stock market back in like the 1910s 1920s and he goes, if there's one thing that I could tell anybody who's trying to win in the markets, it's that it was always my sitting that I that made me the most money. So if it's all about patience. You know, Warren Buffett says it time and time again. You know, the market's a mechanism; just it's designed to transfer money from the impatient to the patient. So, guys, if you if you're in a coin and it hasn't gone exactly as planned, you know, you got to be patient. You got to be patient. Yeah. I'll say that patience is absolutely key, but also it's key to make sure you're not like just making really bad investments. And <laughs> yeah, so in a, in a complete have, dud. <laughs> <laughs> like, like you can also just be like a really bad investor and you just have to be honest with yourself about <laughs> yeah. that sometimes. But I can tell you that like, it's better to find out that you're a bad investor by being patient than it is to find out that you're just being greedy and flipping coins and losing all your money that way. Because at least you've learned something about yourself. And yeah, after all, isn't that why we're all here? <laughs> exactly. Uh, and and on, honestly, in a bull market, um, rising tide lifts all boats. I would definitely encourage. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply your you know, average market participant to not trade with their entire stack. And I would also encourage your average market participant to have a healthy portfolio, almost like a healthy diet. I think you don't want to be allocated entirely to small caps. You don't want to be allocated entirely to your moonshots. You don't want to be allocated to things that only you believe in uh, either. The consensus plays are sometimes consensus plays for a reason. So for example, but let's say you're sitting there and you're thinking to yourself, Ah, uh, but Bitcoin's not going to go up that much. Like, what about all these other coins, you know, that are out there that are going to do 100x or are going to do 200x? And it's like, well, maybe they will, maybe they won't. And yeah, sure, maybe Bitcoin's priced in a lot. So let's say Bitcoin has another 5x. Let's say Bitcoin has another 3x in it. If Bitcoin has another 3x in it, I guarantee you that the that the top DeFi assets will also do fairly well on that. They'll they'll also do fairly well on that. I can't necessarily guarantee anything. That's not financial advice. But these DeFi assets will do, they'll do fairly well. And so if you want to allocate to higher risk plays, it probably makes sense to you know, have at least some amount of your portfolio in these DeFi assets, say like you know, 30 to 40% in your unis, your sushis, your avates, your compounds that all have like a 10x potential in them, that have a 20x potential in them. And then from the rest of your portfolio, allocate to you know, your moonshot coins. And then be patient, be patient with, it, with those coins as well, right? But I think the key is that you want to have a thesis as to why you're going in a position. And that thesis can range from anything to, I think that people are going to buy this over the next three days because there's an event coming out, which is a very common trading strategy. Oh, there's an event that's, that's coming out. I know that it's going to be really big. Nobody else knows about this event. The price is not up a lot. I'm going to buy it and then sell it after the event. Very common trading strategy. Another, another thesis example would be, I think that an asset has huge amount of locked value in it. So something like Farm, for example, which has 800 million in uh, TVL and total value lock, but only has a $100 million market cap. I'm going to buy this because I think it's undervalued on that metric. And then I'm going to wait for it to convert. So that's another, another form of a thesis. Or a third, a third thesis is, this is a new form of DeFi primitive. So like Alchemex, for example, that allow, Alchemix is pretty nutty. What it allows you to do is in exchange for yield, you can get an upfront payment. So let's say you are lending out your die at 20%. Alchemix will give you a loan upfront for that 20%. So you don't have to wait a full year to get it. Um, and then that, that'll pay, pay you off. And that's like kind of a new thing, a little bit untested. I, I don't endorse using it because I don't really understand the smart contract risk behind it right now. But let's say that you you look at that and you say, Oh yeah, this is like this is pretty sweet. I have a thesis that this is going to be used more than you buy that, and you're like, I think that this is going to be used more in the next three months, and if it's used more in the next three months, it's going to go up. So then, you, like, you have like some like frameworks for understanding like this trade is going well or this trade is going bad, because that's the most important thing is you need some sort of framework for understanding is this investment working or not? Like, is this did I make a good decision or not? And so you need some sort of like thesis or framework around it. Um, the main sort of like frameworks that you know, hedge fund managers like me will run is especially with like hot money. It'll be, I think I know something that the market doesn't know. So I'm going to act on that, that maybe I'd like read a blog post that's 
you know, public, but like not a lot of people have read it. And so I know that an event is going to happen that the market doesn't seem to appreciate that much. Or I've, you know, pieced together the puzzle and I say, oh, uh, so for one example of this was uh, Luna. Um, the CEO of Luna tweeted out that they were going to burn, you know, a couple hundred million dollars of UST. And if you understand how Luna works, you need to actually buy Luna, destroy the Luna to create the UST. And he didn't say that they were, he was going to buy a ton of Luna to, to create this UST. But if you knew the mechanics, you understood that was, that was what was going to happen. And so you could like buy Luna because you knew that that was, that that was about to occur. You so knew there was, was a supply shock that was kind yeah. of inevitable. There was an inevitable and public supply shock, but the market didn't quite understand it because the market doesn't do like deep fundamental research or, or really any research for the most part. Um, so it's, uh, yeah. it's, it's one of those things like you, you just kind of have to find your edge. And I think right now, the vast majority of edge comes from A, like understanding that users are going to use a protocol before they use it. Uh, B, and that can be like institutions coming to use Uniswap or it can be crypto native people using like the small protocol that you found, um, or B comes from event-driven trading, or C comes from market structure trading, um, and then D obviously is just like crypto by itself. I think is just a rising tide lifts all boats situation here. So we're just in general like that's that that but that's like a source of beta. That's not a source of alpha. That's not a source of like like edge in the market. That's just you being here early. <laughs> you know, one of the things that I wanted to talk about um, was kind of your your beliefs, or I don't know if beliefs is the right word, but you know, how you think about a concentrated portfolio versus a diversified portfolio, especially in an asset class like crypto, which is so tightly correlated, where in, I'm kind of of the belief or of the school of thought that the diversification of assets in crypto is almost a myth, um, unless you kind of, you know, are, are, are very, very um, sophisticated and, and could have, you know, different sorts of crypto bonds and crypto cash flows and, and lending products and stuff. But, you know, a lot of people that are out there right now are thinking, oh, well, I have a hundred coins, so I'm diversified. So I'm okay. And I could tell you firsthand that that's not diversification because all of those are going to dump when one thing dumps, right? Like when, when Bitcoin dumps or Ethereum dumps, you know, you got to be out. So, you know, how do you think about that? Is it just, you know, an actively managed cash position? Is it, you know, how do you tinker with that? How do you think about that stuff? Portfolio construction in crypto is something that, you know, I, I tackle every single day. Um, and it's probably, it's probably less useful to take this sort of approach for somebody that's not an active trader, but I'll go through it anyway. And then I'll talk about like more of a passive approach and then diversification. Diversification in general is a complete scam in crypto. Like it's like if crypto is going down, like you you're going to lose money. You're not diversified because you hold 100 assets. If Bitcoin's down 70% tomorrow, everything's going to be down 70% tomorrow. Sorry, it's just how it's just how how it works um, in this in this market currently. I think that at some point in the future that's going to change, but for now, 100% true. Uh, and the reason is because all these assets are really tightly held. So. Everybody that holds a crypto asset is likely to hold all these other crypto assets. So when these assets fall down, they're likely to get scared and sell the ones that haven't fallen. So it just like pushes everything down. Um, so yeah, diversification is not really a thing. Uh, I think personally, you want to concentrate wealth to grow wealth to to grow wealth and then diversify to keep it. And so if you have if you have like ten crypto assets and you are highly convicted in one crypto asset. 
it does not make sense to put 10% in each of those assets and claim diversification. If you are so highly convicted in one asset, it actually kind of makes sense to put 50% of your portfolio in that asset and then spread out your lower conviction plays with, with a little bit less. Um, so I think that's something to keep in mind. You know, you should definitely size based on conviction. You shouldn't really size with any sort of thought in the back of your mind of, oh, I need a diversification benefit. Now, size on conviction in this market. So how I do it is I look at, because I'm all in crypto, like completely all in crypto, the fund is all in all in crypto, like I'm all in crypto. The way that I think about it is, what's my cash balance and what's my crypto balance? Okay, so pending, you know, a variety of proprietary metrics that we come up with, uh, we kind of try to think, well, what's the next like two weeks of price action on, on crypto going to look like? Is it going to be generally up or is it going to be generally down? And then based on that, I'll set like my cash exposure. So, okay, I want to be 20% cash. And then once I've set my cash exposure, I go to my Bitcoin versus all exposure. And I say, okay, what you have to realize about this market is that these things go in cycles. Bitcoin will rip and altcoins will do badly. And then Bitcoin will come down and then altcoins will do very well. And so my job as a trader is to try to time that cycle. When is Bitcoin going to do really well? When are alts going to do really well? And so when I think Bitcoin is going to do really well, I'll say, okay, I'll be 75% Bitcoin, 25% alts. Because, you know, keep some alts in case I'm wrong. Because, you know, I'm not always right. If I think alts are going to do really well, I'll say, okay, I'll have 75% alts, 25% Bitcoin. Because again, I might be wrong. And if Bitcoin does really well, I want some Bitcoin to buy alts. So that's it. So, okay. So then in the alt bucket, I think to myself, what are my highest conviction bets? Like, what do I, what do I really believe in? Like, and then I'll take out those trades. Here's one, here's one example, actually, of where it, a trade may lead to you having a diversified basket, even though I don't really believe in diversification. Let's say your thesis, and this was my thesis in January. If ETH does really, really, really well, then Uniswap gems that are priced really, really small, they're going to do super well too. I just don't know which ones are going to do really well. And so I think ETH, there's going to be this wealth effect where a bunch of people are going to make a lot of money on ETH. And then they're going to use that money to buy gems. I just don't know what gems are going to be. So, you know, we bought like 30 different Uniswap gems and we treated it kind of as like one trade. We were like, okay, this is our Uniswap gem. And then, you know, that worked out really, really nicely. Um, but that's like one example of if you have a thesis, you can diversify within that thesis. Um, but like you should definitely have like concentrated theses uh, in, in, in these situations. But yeah, so like again, top down, it's, Decide on your Bitcoin cash exposure, decide on your Bitcoin alt exposure, and then within your alts, decide on your alt exposure in here. Uh, and generally, I'll say that it is very rare for me to hold any cash in this market environment because there's a lot of, uh, there, there's a lot of good stuff that's going, uh, that's going on. And uh, I'm fairly certain that you know, over a three-month time period, uh, you, we're going to see higher prices. Yeah, that's amazing advice. Uh, portfolio construction is a difficult thing to come across. And something you said just before, I think I know something the market doesn't know. If you're not saying that to yourself before you buy something, that's a small moonshot. Like, why are you really buying it? It's, and what you really need to think about is, I know. I think I know something the market doesn't know yet. If you're buying something that's so obscure that it's on no exchanges, it's never going to see the light of day, 
It's been sideways since 2016. Looking at you, Aon. Uh, it's probably not <laughs> the best thing to buy into, even if it has great tech. It's got a community of, you know, 2,500 people still. It's probably not going to be the next big thing. So definitely think about that before you buy something thinking, you know, you're, you're buying the next Ethereum. And the other thing I want to highlight here, which goes very under the radar um, to most people, kind of de- like, I guess most people that get into the crypto community don't really understand how how important community around a coin is. They, they, they're they just like, they, they, they're, it's the water that they swim in and they're the goldfish. They don't even realize that the more powerful the community, like that actually has a huge bearing on the, you know, price behavior of that. And like, what's so interesting that, you know, there's so many coins that might have the best tech and might have this, but they don't have any users. And so you can see that there's not really, um, you know, much, much price action or price potential, but do you guys, you know, Pete and Avi, do you guys have any metric trackers for community growth? Yeah, um, community is really important. I think that the one thing that you should never, ever, ever underestimate is the power of like a crazy strong community. And uh, you see that in like 4chan um, pumping like SNX for a really long time, like the SNX like community, like really loving them. Uh, and, less, and Link, and I mean, Link is like the most obvious example of this, where like a solid core group of people like really pushed Link up a ton. Uh, and then the graph is kind of experiencing this too, to a certain extent, um, which is part of its crazy run. And one, of, I think one of the best ways to do this is to look at Telegram chats, is to look at mentions on 4chan, is to look at mentions on Reddit, and is to look at like Reddit communities, and, and then go, go go into the Discord and like talk to people, ask questions, uh, poke around, see if they can answer your questions in a reasonable manner. Um, are the people in there friendly? Do they, you know, are they only concerned about price? Like, or are they actually like, do they care about the project? So I think it takes a, it takes two things. It takes like some analytics where you're looking at actual just pure numbers, but it also is a little bit of a feel. It's a, how do these communities react to things? How do these communities interact with new people? Are these smart communities? Are these dumb communities? Uh, And obviously you want to be, you want to be betting on the communities that like have a lot of buy-in and that are good communities that that welcome new people that answer questions. Um, So I see those in a lot of new assets. Yeah. Very well said. And if you want to look at a tool for data analytics, I use into the block which shows me uh, how many different wallets over time are being created, flows between wallets. You know, I want to see if all the tokens are concentrated amongst a few large whales that are eventually going to dump on everyone, or if everyone's got a a bunch of shares of it and the founders of the team, they only have their fair share. Uh, Back in 2017, we had a concept that we call pre-mine, where when a new token was created, The entire supply would be minted at once and under the team's control, and then they would distribute it out as they saw fit. Um, And this was like a cardinal sin back then to pre-mine your token. Like even 10% was just thought to be uh, a cash grab. But now it's done so often that uh, for these proof-of-stake tokens, it's not really as big a deal anymore, but it's still something that's worth looking at. Into the Block also has a great uh, metric of showing how many people are in the money. So you can see if this thing has just been a money pit for everyone over time and they're all just waiting to finally break even and cash out, or if there's going to be meetups at the Bahamas someday with the people you're talking to on Discord. 
<laughs> That's wild. I don't know. I, if it's anything like 2017, it's they're not going to be any meetups uh, for me. But hopefully, hopefully 2021 will be a lot better. 2017 was rough. I uh, I was in so many discords and um, everybody learns, you know, trial by fire in a sense, and they all just like went absolutely dead. And so I think this year, a lot of the people that I've been trading with, a lot of the people that I talked to have done a lot better. Uh, everybody's kind of like learned their lessons from 2017. A lot of people I know have already cashed out like, you know, life-changing amounts of money and they're, it's sitting in cash because they have experienced 2017. They know how bad it can get. So and they used the market as the tool that it was supposed to be. And, you know, they won. <laughs> yeah. They used it. Well, one of the things, um, I wanted to talk to you about specifically, and I, and I hope you're the right guy to talk to about it. If you're not, you let me know. Um, but it's this concept of a gamma squeeze um, from these market makers. And it's been trending and people have been tweeting about it, about prices going up because market makers who are generally supplying the market are you know, short gamma and they're getting squeezed. What the hell's going on? Can, can you give like an explain like I'm five or maybe explain like I'm 15 years old uh, type explanation? Sure. I'll say that uh, for the most part in like the crypto markets, it's it's somewhat useful, but there's like the activity in the options market is not strong enough to drive flows over a really, really long period of time, except for on certain expiries. So there's certain... Okay, let, let me step back just to uh, just yeah. to make this clear. So a gamma squeeze is the concept uh, in the options market. It specifically has to do with the options market. What happens is a lot of people in crypto will buy calls. So they'll buy calls or they'll buy puts. And most of the time, there are a lot of, you know, takers in, in, in this market. So one, one thing about the options market, if you're, if you're hedging uh, an option, you have, uh, if, if, if you're long an option and you're hedging an option, what will happen is as your delta is going up, in order to stay delta neutral, you have to, you have to start actually selling off, like selling, selling down spot. Let, let me sorry. Let me let me let me let me try to let me try to free this. So are you guys are you guys comfortable with the concept of a call and a put? Yeah. So I guess what I'm Let's hearing is like as people are trying listeners. Yeah, like as as people are trying to lever up in the market and speculate, they want to get longer and longer, so they're buying calls and calls and calls, and then market makers are supplying that action. But at some point, there's like a breaking point where they have to like flip the script because they're out of supply or something. Well, it, it has more. It has more to do with the fact that calls have so the delta of a call. The way the way that it works is the delta of a call is equal to the amount of money, the the value of that call for every dollar that Bitcoin goes up. How much does the value of that call go up? And so, if market makers are short calls and Bitcoin is going up. What happens when a call gets more and more in the money? So let's say you have a $50,000 call and Bitcoin goes from 48,000 to 50,000. Your deltas are going up. So your deltas are going up. And when you, when you buy a call as a market maker, you short the underlying future to hedge that. 
So let's say you, as a market maker, you buy a call. In order to stay delta neutral, you need to short an equivalent amount of futures, right? So you short the future against the call. Now, market makers are not actually short. Uh, they're not actually long calls that often. More often, they're short calls. So when you short a call, you have to be long the underlying future to head out that call. So let's say you let's say that you, the market participant, go to a market maker and you say, "Let me buy one call for you, sir." And the market maker says, "Sure, I'm going to sell you one call." So when they sell you that one call, what happens is they're now short the call. So they've sold you a call; they're short that call. In order to hedge that, they buy an equivalent amount of futures. Now, remember what I said about delta. If Bitcoin goes up, then the delta of that call goes up, and so that means that they're actually getting long. They're getting shorter Bitcoin because they're getting even shorter Bitcoin as the call, you know, gets more and more in the money. So they're getting shorter and shorter and shorter Bitcoin. Now, what that means is on the future hedge, they have, they to, have to keep buy, longing the futures. They have to keep longing Bitcoin in order <laughs> to cover. So if that's the idea of a gamma squeeze, is that it, 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 people talk about this on Wall Street bets all the time. If you buy a ton of calls on a stock, there's a lot of volatility per dollar move in that stock. So mm-hmm. every dollar move that stock goes higher or every dollar move Bitcoin goes higher, if market makers are short a huge amount of calls, that means that they have to buy a lot of spot in order to hedge their position. And if a bunch of market makers are fighting to get, you know, to hedge their calls at the same time, that causes what you call a gamma squeeze. Got and it. the reason it's called a gamma squeeze there it is. is because the rate of change of the delta. So delta is how much your call option goes up in value per $1 of Bitcoin. Gamma is per $1 of Bitcoin move, how much does your delta go up? So it's like, how fast is your delta changing as Bitcoin goes up? And so gamma is the is basically the additional amount of Bitcoin that they have to buy as Bitcoin goes up. And so that's the concept of a gamma squeeze is you have a bunch of people that are buying Bitcoin and that are buying Bitcoin calls. Market makers are selling short these calls. They're hedged on the futures, so they're buying futures to hedge. And if Bitcoin keeps going up, they have to buy even more to hedge. And wow. so that's a concept that, yeah, so that's what's going on. And that has occurred a couple of times in the history uh, of Bitcoin and caused like a couple of, you know, extra, extra moves higher. And, and it very well, it very well could happen a couple more times. Um, you know, there's always like three drives or three impulses along the way. Uh, and it feels like we've kind of had our first upwards impulse, but I, I feel like we might have two more, two more phases left in us. Um Pete's, uh, what do you, you got any more questions for Avi before we let him go? I got one on behalf of the community, and this is something that I get asked every day, it seems like, in every single life or call we do, is how do I decide to take profit and where do I set my stop loss? I know it's very much an art rather than a science, mm. and it's very uh, subjective to the individual and what you're trying to trade and what your time frame is, but is there any general rules of thumb you should or should not do? I'll stick to uh, I'll stick to the how to take profit because the stop loss side is like a whole a whole can of worms, and I think this will be very this will be very helpful just to broader audiences, especially newcomers. 
before you like enter a really large position or a really large trade, the two most important things that you have to check in this market are one, you have to check the futures curve, and two, you have to check the funding rates on the, on assets. And every top, every like major top has been marked by futures curves blowing out to something like 40%. And they've been marked by funding rates on Binance and all these different alts like maxing out. Like people are paying like, you know, 3% a day to long to long altcoins or something nuts like that. And so if you're if you're a participant in this market, anytime you're like trading. You should know the most important time. The most important thing about trading is knowing kind of when to trade. And so when the futures curves are absolutely blown out, when funding rates are absolutely blown out, that's when you should be taking profits. That's not when you should be trading. That's not when you should be punting. Things will still be going up 50% a day at that point, but it'll all come crashing down extremely quickly. And so on the when to take profit side, basically what you want to do is you want to buy when not a lot of people are buying, which is actually right now, they're not that many people buying in the alt market. And then you want to sell when everybody else is extremely greedy. And you can actually judge these things. Like you you know, when people say, oh, buy when there's fear, sell when there's greed, the, the crypto markets are amazing because you can actually see that in the futures curve. You can see that in the funding rates. Just go to bybt.com and look at the funding rates. If they're flat, like feel free to trade. If they're all red and people are paying 5% a day to long alts, stop, stop going long alts. Like you, you're not, you're not going to win. It's going to come crashing down on you at some point. So, so I think I'll, I'll, I'll leave it with that. That's probably the most useful piece of advice I can give newcomers that are actively trading. That's fantastic. And that's one of my favorite sites to check out, bybt.com. Love it. Yeah, guys. Awesome. I mean, this is the sort of education that you just don't get anywhere else. Man, Avi, I couldn't thank you enough. I mean, I know how big of a, of a couple of weeks it's been for you. We've been trying to to organize this for a few weeks. I'm so thankful, man, that we got some time from you today. So all the best to you, all the best to Block Tower. Uh, shout out to Josh Frank for uh, hooking us up and, and getting us connected, man. Yeah, this was awesome. Thanks for having me on the show, guys. Really, really appreciate it. It was, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, you bet, man. We look forward to having you back. Uh, whenever you want to talk markets, whenever you're thinking something, uh, big announcements, you know where to come. Uh, we're, we'll be here for you. You got it. Take care. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.